Hello and welcome into this episode number 26 of the Bible Reading Podcast. Today's Bible question, who in the Bible best modeled Jesus' first and greatest commandment? Well, we've made it through 25 episodes of the show. I think that's a bit of a milestone. I hope the podcast is an encouragement to you and it helps to drive you towards daily Bible reading. One of my motivations for continuing to do the show on a daily basis is your comments, your reviews on iTunes, your emails, and when you share the show on social media. As a podcaster, I just got to say, that's really, really exciting, and it kind of propels you forward. And that's true for any podcast, but especially true for a daily podcast. So, thank you for sharing the show. I do want to invite you to go to our website, BibleReadingPodcast.com. Leave a question there if you want to co- us to cover it on an upcoming show, BibleReadingPodcast.com. Or you can connect with us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash BibleReadingPodcast. We got a page there, just launched it yesterday. Thank you to the... Uh, I don't know, it's close to a couple of hundred people now that have uh, liked that, and uh, I appreciate that. I appreciate every share uh, and every review. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That helps. Now, another motivation for continuing is the very interesting fact that a few of my kids actually regularly listen to this podcast, and I think I'm safe to mention that tonight. It's Saturday night, tomorrow's church. We have church tomorrow, and usually the kids are too busy on Sunday morning to actually listen to the podcast, so I don't think they'll hear this, but from my perspective as a dad, that's a huge encouragement to know that they occasionally listen to their old man talk about the Word of God in a voluntary capacity, because I'm not really pushing it on them, and it seems to hopefully sometimes spur them on towards wanting to be in the Word of God more and understand it, and that's the goal here, man. We want to Urge people on in God's Word, deeper in reading it, deeper in understanding it, and deeper in following it, onward and upward. And when you share the show with your friends and things like that, hopefully it's going to encourage them to get deeper in the Word of God. So our focus today is an unsung woman in the Bible who is one of my absolute heroes, and her name is Mary of Bethany. We learn about Mary in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. All of them tell us a good bit about Mary, and I think literally every time we see her, or close to it in the Bible, she manages to be at the feet of Jesus. A few episodes ago, we read through Matthew 22 together, and we heard the best question that I think anybody ever asked Jesus, and that question was, what is the most important commandment? And his answer was that the greatest and most important commandment in all life, in all of the Bible, was to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. I believe that Mary of Bethany, whom we encounter today in Matthew 26, is perhaps, maybe even probably, the best example of a first commandment life in the entire Bible. So let's go to Matthew 26 and read about her. This is Matthew 26, verse 1. 
in the Christian Standard Bible. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he told his disciples, You know that the Passover takes place after two days, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the courtyard of the high priest, who was named Caiaphas, and they conspired to arrest Jesus in a treacherous way and kill him. Not during the festival, they said, so there won't be rioting among the people. While Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman approached him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. She poured it on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw it, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This might have been sold for a great deal and given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a noble thing for me. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. By pouring this perfume on my body, she has prepared me for burial. Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Side note, pause from reading the scripture. We're fulfilling that prophecy, that promise right now. I am by talking about it, and you are by listening to us talk about Mary of Bethany. Verse 14, Then one of the twelve, the man called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they weighed out 30 pieces of silver for him. And from that time, he started looking for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. On the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Go into the city to a certain man, he said, and tell him, The teacher says my time is near. I am celebrating the Passover at your place with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, he was reclining at the table with the twelve. While they were eating, he said, Truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. Deeply distressed, each one began to say to him, Surely not I, Lord. He replied, The one who dipped his hand with me in the bowl, he will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for him if he had not been born. Judas, his betrayer, replied, Surely not I, Rabbi. You have said it, he told him. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat it. This is my body. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit from the, of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, Tonight all of you will fall away because of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be shattered, scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Peter told him, Even if... Everyone falls away because of you. I will never fall away. Truly I tell you, Jesus told him, tonight, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. 
Even if I have to die with you, Peter told him, I will never deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he told the disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled, and he said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little further, he fell face down and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He asked Peter, So couldn't you stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came again and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. After leaving them, he went away again and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? See, the time is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let's go. My betrayer is near. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, suddenly arrived. A large mob with swords and clubs was with him from the chief priests and elders of the people. His betrayer had given them a sign. The one I kiss, he's the one. Arrest him. So immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Friend, Jesus asked him, why have you come? Then they came up, took hold of Jesus, and arrested him. At that moment, one of those who was with Jesus reached out his hand, drew his sword. He struck the high priest's servant and cut off his ear. Then Jesus told him, Put your sword back in its place, because all who take up the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot call on my father, and he will provide me here and now with more than twelve legions of angels? How then would the scriptures be fulfilled that says it must happen this way? At that time, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a criminal to capture me? Every day I used to sit teaching in the temple and you didn't arrest me. But all this has happened so that the writings of the prophets would be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and ran away. Those who had arrested Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had convened. Peter was following him at a distance right to the high priest's courtyard. He went in and was sitting with the servants to see the outcome. The chief priests in the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false testimony against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they could not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two who came forward stated, This man said, I can destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. The high priest stood up and said to him, Don't you have an answer to what these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said it, Jesus told him. But I tell you, in the future you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. 
Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has blasphemed. Why do we still need witnesses? See, now you've heard the blasphemy. What is your decision? They answered, He deserves death. Then they spat in his face and beat him. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Messiah. Hmm, Who was it that hit you? Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl approached him and said, You were with Jesus the Galilean too. But he denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about. When he had gone out to the gateway, another woman saw him and told those who were there, who were there, This man was with Jesus the Nazarene. And again he denied it with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there approached and said to Peter, You really are one of them, since even your accent gives you away. Then he started to curse and to swear with an oath, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Now the Matthew passage we read doesn't identify the woman who did this incredible act of worship, but John chapter 12 does, where it says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, the one Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there, Martha was serving them, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of fragrant oil, pure and expensive nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped his feet with her hair. So the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was about to betray him, said, Why wasn't this fragrant oil sold for three hundred denarii and eh, given to the poor? He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of the money bag and would steal part of what was put in it. Jesus answered, Leave her alone. She has kept it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. And let me say this, just in terms of, some of you might be astutely saying right now, oh my gosh, I found a Bible contradiction. Matthew says that Mary of Bethany anointed the head of Jesus, and John says that she anointed Jesus' feet. The Bible has contradictions. I know it doesn't. Just like if I told you that uh, I saw a football game and, I don't know, Aaron Rodgers threw for three touchdowns and somebody else told you they saw the same game and said Aaron Rodgers ran for a touchdown, well, that's not contradictory. There's been plenty of games where Aaron Rodgers has thrown for three touchdowns and ran for a touchdown. So what am I saying here? Well, it sounds like Mary of Bethany anointed Jesus' head and his feet, and John focused on the feet part, and Matthew focused on the head part, and that's how eyewitness testimony works. We don't recount every little detail, and you can't expect the Bible to do that. So, if the Lord enables it, I plan on doing this daily podcast all year, not missing a single day, Lord willing. If that happens, we will encounter Mary of Bethany in our reading a lot. And each time I want to point to her as a great example of somebody who gets it, 
who gets the most important commandment. I hope you don't mind me talking about her too much because she inspires me. And the reason why she inspires me is I'm more wired like her sister in a lot of ways. I'm more wired to be a doer rather than a first commandment guy. And ever since I first learned about Mary of Bethany, her lifestyle has been a splash of cold water to my lifestyle. The praise that Jesus has for her has been something that has made me consider over and over again my drive to be a doer. It's good to do, but we're called to love first. You see, one of the great dangers of our Christian walk is that we will overemphasize the trivial and underemphasize the critically important. Indeed, the Bible says Satan himself often works to keep Christians from focusing on the greatest commandment, and he tries very hard to deceive us into spending all of our time and energy on comparatively minor activities. That comes from 2 Corinthians 11.3, among other places. And Paul says there, I am afraid lest the serpent Satan, lest as the serpent Satan deceived Eve by his craftiness, your mind should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. The enemy will seek to lead us away from pure, sincere, simple devotion to Jesus. That's a massive chunk of spiritual warfare. And it's worth thinking about, is he succeeding in your life? Is he succeeding in my life? When we first encounter Mary, we see her in Luke 10, 39, where it says, Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do not care that my sister has left me to serve alone. Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Martha was distracted with much serving. Scripture calls us to serve. In fact, Jesus tells us that the key to greatness is serving. And, and Scripture tells us to serve, to meet him humanitarian needs in a practical way, but not as our first priority. Martha was distracted by too much serving. She was drawn away, busy. What was she drawn away from, she was drawn away from being at the feet of Jesus. Now, I want to point out to you there, the word serving that is used by Luke is the same word that is often translated as ministry or deaconing. Those are really important things to minister, but it is possible to be distracted by overmuch serving and under-sitting at the feet of Jesus in worship and the intake of his word. We are to be doers of the word, but the first and greatest commandment is to be lovers of the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And part of that is being lovers of his word with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Jesus told Martha that Mary did the one thing needed. That one thing is called by Jesus the good part. Jesus declared that Mary chose the good part. She chose the good thing in sitting at the feet of Jesus feasting on his words in adoration. Again, serving is good, but if we serve and minister over much and worship and feast on the word of God too little, we will run out of spiritual gas. We will, we will 
cause trouble to our roots in Christ. See John 15, 1 through 6. We will have a catastrophic failure if we are not abiding in Christ. The first commandment, loving God, must come first. It is the first priority. One other thing to think about. Consider the waste of Mary of Bethany. That jar of perfume was probably in her inheritance. What's happened is probably her parents have died. Martha inherited the house and Mary inherited the second most valuable thing, which in this case would have been the jar of perfume because, you know, maybe Martha was oldest, Mary was second oldest, and then Lazarus was the youngest. Um, so in pouring out this perfume on Jesus, she basically blew her life savings in five minutes. And the disciples said, not just Judas, but all of them, what a waste. I say, what an investment. Give me, think about it. She made this investment 2,000 years ago, and it thunderstruck the creator of the world and the redeemer of mankind. Other people said she was wasting her life, but honestly, she lived her life in the greatest way possible. We know more about her than all but 10 of the apostles and many other heroes of the Bible. What she has done, says Jesus, will be remembered. I say this, I think in terms of, you know, Jesus talks about people being greatest in the kingdom of heaven and least in the kingdom of heaven. I think that Mary of Bethany will be ahead of pretty much every pope, pastor, church leader, missionary in the kingdom of heaven because of the way she lived her life. Consider, often people criticize the Bible as being backwards in its relationship to women. But honestly, if you read it and you understand the historical context of it, you realize how revolutionary it absolutely was. It's amazing how many female heroines are praised in the Bible. Deborah, Mary of Bethany, the Syrophoenician woman, Mary Magdalene, um, and, and plenty of others, including the women who traveled with Jesus and took care of them, uh, of, of, of him and the disciples. So lots of women doing amazing things in the word of God. Mary seems to have understood what Jesus meant about his death. She likely understood when the disciples were still clueless because, as Jesus said, she was preparing him for his burial. She knew what was coming. She listened and she understood. Think about all the people that Jesus could have invested in before his death, people that Jesus could have spent time with, and he chose Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Fascinating. All right, let's read our other passages together. Genesis chapter 27, verse 1, the Christian Standard Bible. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could not see, he called his older son Esau and said to him, My son. And he answered him, Here I am. And he said, Look, I am old and do not know the day of my death. So take now your hunting gear, your quiver and bow, and go out in the field to hunt some game for me. Then make me a delicious meal that I love and bring it to me to eat so that I can bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening to what Isaac said to his son Esau. So while Esau went to the field to hunt some game to bring in, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Listen, I heard your father talking with your brother Esau. He said, Bring me game and make a delicious meal for me to eat so that I can bless you in the Lord's presence before I die. Now my son, listen to me and do what I tell you. Go to the flock and bring me two choice young goats, and I will make them into a delicious meal for your father, the kind he loves. Then take it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. Jacob answered Rebekah his mother, 
Look, my brother Esau is a hairy man, but I am a man with smooth skin. Suppose my father touches me, then I will be revealed to him as a deceiver and being a curse rather than a blessing on myself. His mother said to him, Your curse be on me, my son. Just obey me and go get them for me. So he went and got the goats and brought them to his mother, and his mother made the delicious food his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of her older son Esau, which were in the house, and had her younger son Jacob wear them. She put the skins of the young goats on his hands and the smooth part of his neck. Then she handed the delicious food and the bread she had made to her son Jacob. When he came to his father, he said, My father. And he answered, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob replied to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may bless me. But Isaac told his son, How did you ever find it so quickly, my son? He replied, Because the Lord your God made it happen for me. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come closer so I can touch you, my son. Are you really my son Esau or not? So Jacob came closer to his father Isaac. When he touched him, he said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau, so he blessed him. Again he asked, Are you really my son Esau? And he replied, Oh, I am. Then he said, Bring it closer to me and let me eat some of my son's game so that I can bless you. And Jacob brought it closer to him, and he ate. He brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Please come closer and kiss me, my son. So he came closer and kissed him. When Isaac smelled his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you from the dew of the sky and from the richness of the land an abundance of grain and new wine. May people serve you and nations bow and worship to you. Be master over your relatives. May your mother's sons bow and worship to you. Those who curse you will be cursed, and those who bless you will be blessed. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had left the presence of his father Isaac, his brother Esau arrived from his hunting. He had also made some delicious food and brought it to his father. He said to his father, Let my father get up and eat some of his son's game so that you may bless me. But his father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I am Esau, your firstborn son. Isaac began to tremble uncontrollably. Who was it then, he said, who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it all before you came in, and I blessed him. Indeed, he will be blessed." When Esau heard his words, he cried out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me too, father. But he replied, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. So he said, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? For he's cheated me twice now. He took my birthright. Now he's taken my blessing. Then he asked, Haven't you saved a blessing for me? But Isaac answered Esau, Look, I've made him master over you, have given him all of his relatives as servants, and have sustained him with grain and new wine. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Do you only have one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. 
and Esau wept loudly. His father Isaac answered him, Look, your dwelling place will be away from the richness of the land, away from the dew of the sky above. You will live by your sword, and you will serve your brother. But when you rebel, you will break his yoke from your neck. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him, and Esau determined in his heart, The days of mourning for my brother, my father, are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. When the words of her older son Esau were reported to Rebekah, she summoned her younger son Jacob and said to him, Listen, your brother Esau is consoling himself by planning to kill you. So now, my son, listen to me. Flee at once to my brother Laban and Haran and stay with him for a few days until your brother's anger subsides, until your brother's rage turns away from you and he forgets what you've done to him. Then I will send for you and bring you back from there. Why should I lose you both in one day? So Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm sick of my life because of these Hethite girls. If Jacob marries someone from around here like these Hethite girls, what good is my life? Oh dear. Esther chapter 3 verse 1. After all this took place, King Ahasuerus honored Haman, son of Hamadetha the Agagite. He promoted him in rank and gave him a higher position than all the other officials. The entire royal, royal staff at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman because the king had commanded this to be done for him. But Mordecai would not bow down or pay homage. The members of the royal staff at the king's gate asked Mordecai, Why are you disobeying the king's command? When they warned him day after day and he still would not listen to them, they told Haman in order to see if Mordecai's actions would be tolerated since he had told them he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai was not bowing down or paying him homage, he was filled with rage. And when he learned of Mordecai's ethnicity, it seemed repugnant to Haman to do away with Mordecai alone. He planned to destroy all of Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout Ahasuerus's kingdom. In the first month, the month of Nisan, in King Ahasuerus's twelfth year, the pure, that is the lot, was cast before Haman for each day in each month, and it fell on the twelfth month, the month Adar. Then Haman informed King Ahasuerus, There is one ethnic group scattered throughout the people in every province of your kingdom, keeping themselves separate. Their laws are different from everyone else's, and they do not obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. If the king approves, let an order be drawn up authorizing their destruction, and I will pay 375 tons of silver to the officials for deposit in the royal treasury. The king removed his signet ring from his finger and gave it to Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jewish people. Then the king told Haman, The money and people are given to you to do with as you see fit. 
The royal scribes were summoned on the thirteenth day of the first month, and the order was written exactly as Haman commanded. It was intended for the royal satraps, the governors of each of the provinces, and the officials of each ethnic group, and written for each province in its own script and to each ethnic group in its own language. It was written in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed with the royal signet ring. Letters were sent by couriers to each of the royal provinces telling the officials to destroy kill and annihilate all the Jewish people, young and old, women and children, and plunder their possessions on a single day, the 13th day of Adar, the 12th month. A copy of the text, issued as law throughout every province, was distributed to all the peoples so that they might get ready for that day. The couriers left, spurred on by royal command, and the law was issued in the fortress of Susa. The king and Haman sat down to drink while the city of Susa was in confusion. Acts chapter 26 verse 1. Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and began his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, that I am to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially since you are very knowledgeable about all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. All the Jews know my way of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own people and in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time if they are willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion I lived as a Pharisee, and now I stand on trial because of the hope in what God promised to our ancestors, the promise our twelve tribes hope to reach as they earnestly serve him night and day. King Agrippa, King Agrippa I am being accused by the Jews because of this hope. Why do any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? In fact, I myself was convinced that it was necessary to do many things in opposition to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I actually did this in Jerusalem, and I locked up many of the saints in prison since I received authority for that from the chief priests. When they were put to death, I was in agreement against them. In all the synagogues, I often punished them and tried to make them blaspheme, since I was terribly enraged at them, and I pursued them even to foreign cities. I was traveling to Damascus under these circumstances with authority and a commission from the chief priests. King Agrippa, while on the road at midday, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me and those traveling with me. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice speaking to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. I asked, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen and will seen of me. I will rescue you from your people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a share among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not obedient 
disobedient to the heavenly vision. Instead, I preached to those in Damascus first, and to those in Jerusalem and all the region of Judea, and to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works worthy of repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and were trying to kill me. To this very day, I have had help from God, and I stand and testify to both small and great, saying nothing other than what the prophets and Moses said would take place, that the Messiah must suffer, and that, as the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to our people and to the Gentiles." As he was saying these things in his defense, Festus exclaimed in a loud voice, You're out of your mind, Paul. Too much study is driving you mad. But Paul replied, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. On the contrary, I'm speaking words of truth and good judgment. For the king knows about these matters, and I can speak boldly to him. For I am convinced that none of these things has escaped his notice since it was not done in a corner." King Agrippa, do you leave do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. Agrippa said to Paul, Are you going to persuade me to become a Christian so easily? I wish before God, replied Paul, that whether easily or with difficulty, not only you, but all who listen to me today might become as I am, except for these chains. The king, the governor, Bernice, and those sitting with him got up, and when they had left, they talked with each other and said, This man is not doing anything to deserve death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been released if he had not appealed to Caesar. And that, my friends, is the word of the Lord, as always. May it encourage you. May it point you toward Jesus. May it build you up in the most holy faith. Godspeed to you.